Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello everyone. On the podcast today, I have a very special guest, a private client of mine, Kelly, has been so kind and brave and vulnerable as to share her story. She shares a bunch of different wisdom gems of her recovery process, how it took her more time than she expected, but it was totally worth it. And the certain challenges she had to go through, like weight gain, nighttime eating syndrome, and drug addiction, alcohol recovery, lots of different stuff, and being 50 in her 50s when she recovered. I just think her story is something that needs to be shared and I'm really excited to have that interview so you can hear it here today. If you, after listening to this call, feel like you really want to recover and this podcast has given you hope, you can feel free to check out my website where you can apply for private coaching uh, by booking a consult with me. You'll book a consult. We'll discuss at the consult what challenges you're facing right now. I'll offer you solutions on the call that I think you should be focusing on, whether you work with me or not. And then we can talk about whether coaching is good fit or um, you might want to move on to other things. And then we can talk about whether coaching is a good fit or not. Okay. Otherwise, I'll see you guys in the interview. Bye. Hey, everyone listening. I'm here with Kelly, a former client of mine, and I'm excited that she's on the podcast because she has been so gracious and kind to share her recovery story, which I think is always unique. Of course, there's similarities between all recovery stories, but I think hers has a lot of different gems in it. Um, She struggled with nighttime eating and binging and things like that, but I'll let her tell the story a little bit herself. So Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me. I feel um, honored and blessed to be here. So thank you. Oh, well, yeah, I'm honored and blessed too. It's it's not always that someone is brave enough to share their story in the podcast for various reasons. And I understand that. Um, but I'm, I'm so thankful that you were able to share yours. So just to jump right into it and put you immediately on the spot. Um, what was, can you tell us briefly what had you fall into your eating disorder and what your eating disorder was like? Just briefly, um, right now, I'll just say that I'm 56 years old. So this started a long time ago. And I I was remembering when the first time that I, it wasn't really a binge. It was a Thanksgiving with my family. And I've just eaten a lot, a whole lot, right? And Mm. um, I went to the bathroom at my aunt's house and I purged. So it wasn't any psychological, anything like that. It was just a feeling of discomfort. Um, That would be the first time, which led to, it took a little while uh, for me to do it a second time. And I remember that too. It still wasn't something that I was, I'm going to say using. Okay. Mm-hmm. However, I do have a history of drug and alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I first got sober the first time, uh, there was, and I'll just, I'll say, I don't know that this is important to anybody, but I just remember in my mind, I've been sober about uh, six months and uh, my boyfriend, I had a boyfriend, he was uh, newly sober too, and he looked at me and he said, um, "Wow, you got a really great body, except for that stomach, mm. right? Awful. And it it just kind 
it, awful. You know, I don't know. You know, who knows what he thought he was? I don't know. And it really doesn't matter at this point. But in my brain, I took that as, dang, you're not perfect. You know, mm-hmm. you're not good enough. Um, so right then started my, If at that point, if I ate anything that I felt like was, uh, I'm going to add some, some uh, pounds or, or something like that to me, uh, it was gone. I started mm-hmm. purging and uh, that led to on and off. So like what I'm 21 at that time, something like that, um, that I'm even, well, about 20 uh, that led to on and off periods of sobriety, um, periods of binging, purging on and off for gosh, till uh, at 2014, I guess. So that's that's okay. a long time. Definitely. Yeah awful too just a simple comment like that even though he maybe didn't mean much by it although i don't know i would never come up to go up to someone and say hey you look good except for that weird glaring thing those comments stick with you i remember some boy making a comment about me and uh in sixth grade or something and it was this offhanded comment but i will never i've never forgotten it and he probably doesn't even remember you know but it affects you Mm -hmm. pretty wild pretty pretty yes yes so that's kind of where it's, where kind of my plight. And I will say before, yes, many other questions. Um, I truly, you know, have addictions. I've been a drug addict, uh, been in treatment several times, but what would always happen, Jacqueline, is I would be able to get sober two, three years, four years, six years, you know, in mm-hmm. between there, but this bulimia always came back. It, it would come back and it would be eventually get so miserable you know, I'm alone, you know, I live by myself sometimes and I, you know, be doing it all weekend spends mm. m- spent many, many, many dollars, many, many nights. I'm um, doing that. And it would get so lonely because it's such an isolating thing that I knew that if I went X, Y, and Z go here, I'm going to, I'm going to be a people, you know, mm-hmm. um, like going back to always... drugs or alcohol. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. Correct. That's correct. Um, and I would do that. And yeah, I mean, instantly I would have people, a place to hang out, you know, and that too would, would spiral out of control. And then I'll be back to square one. Mm, back yeah. To square one. And this happened that's, repeatedly. That's so interesting that you mentioned that because in recovery communities for eating disorders too, I think people find a lot of solidarity in that. And it is helpful, but then sometimes they don't necessarily want to leave those communities per se because they find connection there. Um, it's, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. Obviously, when you were trying to find drugs and alcohol, you probably weren't going to Alcohols Anonymous for that. You were going to other places. But um, I find sometimes people find it hard to leave the disorder or sickness altogether because they do have connections there. And if they don't have connections outside of that, it's hard to give it up altogether. It can be. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds like it. I believe yeah. How did you um, get sobriety from drugs and alcohol? And that's a long loaded question. Well, my first long term, I, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just where I went. They, they, uh, that's where I went. I was very young in the beginning. Um, but I always knew, and I'm going to say, I always returned back. I always knew that was a place I could go to feel safe, to find friends, you know, to find some recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was, and it always has been. I currently do go today. Um, the only, uh, I want to say the only thing that I kept trying to do in a 12 step program was to work the steps and, and get recovery and bulimia. It just never happened. And I'm talking decades, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just didn't know anything else. I didn't know anything else. There wasn't a whole lot. Well, and people, obviously, like the Overeaters Anonymous, you went to as well, but you didn't find the principles to be as helpful for you, even though it's sometimes very helpful for people. I'm not knocking it. Correct. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's helpful to know. And I think, I think alcohol AA is just, it's a wonderful program for a lot of people, obviously heals a lot of people. And I think what was crucial that you said was how you still go today. Um, I do think having some sort of continued work in the community of recovery keeps us that have been in these addictions. I don't know. It keeps us sober in some sort of way. I find that through my work with my clients all the time. When I work with people, it just kind of keeps in the back of my mind why I want to never go back to my eating disorder. So I'm sure you find the same reprieve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. Um, well, tell me, uh, I, there was many different things when, firstly, for people that don't know, we had a kind of an interesting client relationship because I worked with you for, I think six months and then you went on to do your own thing for a little while. And then you came back and we worked for another roughly three months. So it wasn't like we worked for a consolidated amount of time. You had gaps in between, which I thought was actually important for you, but there are many different parts of your recovery that we worked on. But, um, and I was, I have ideas of what I thought was the most important, but what do you feel like was the most important piece of your bulimia recovery? I think the most in working with you and in my recovery is the ability to talk about it mm. and not feel judged to be open about it uh, and actually have some actual concrete you asked me questions, okay? I was this. You asked me questions that nobody had asked me for in relation to. Um, it's like this bulimia was such a giant, and that and you asked me questions that really uh, narrowed it down to, to the actual real what was going on when I said mm-hmm. I feel fat, uh, <laughs> yeah. things like that, okay? That that nobody else would understand. You know, fat's not a feeling. Yeah, it is. To me, it's a feeling. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was super helpful. Super helpful to be able to talk mm-hmm. honestly and openly. Mm, yeah, I find that I love, like, it's classic. It's been totally overused. But Brene Brown's saying shame cannot survive being spoken. Being able to talk about it out loud, first and foremost, is extremely important because it releases shame. But then also the ability to talk about it out loud and then hear it reflected back gives you a new level of awareness that you didn't have before. I think when, depending on how your brain works, when you just have thoughts circling in your head, it becomes much more dramatic than it really is. And so that's one of the biggest values I find of, you know, coaching or any recovery group is that you literally have to explain things out loud and then it becomes much more understandable. And then, yeah, I think that for you, things I noticed was uh, one, like working on your belief in yourself because and I might be describing the AA community wrong, but it's almost about surrendering your power, which I think also has some merit to it. But for you, I felt like we really had to believe, build up your belief in the moment that you could do something, especially with the nighttime eating, which felt so automatic. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? A hundred percent agree. Um, 
as you stated, that in 12-step programs, a lot of the time giving, you know, surrendering. And like that's, I think that's an important part of some things, um, especially like the drugs and alcohol. You surrender, meaning, you know, mm-hmm. put it down. I, you don't even have to pick it up again. With this food, there was um, such a, a pattern that went along with it. And it started so small. Uh, a, a negative thought, which would turn to a negative action, which turned to, you know, picking up food, which turned to, you know, it was such a pattern that uh, I want to be able to recognize it and have the power, okay, definitely, mm-hmm. that that I was able to, you know, see it then and do something different, that I actually had that power to do that as opposed to, God, please help me. You know, mm-hmm. and just letting the letting letting I don't know, like um the whole process take over me. Right. You does that make I, sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And I think with drugs and alcohol, I've always hear people that are previous addicts say this is you can just stop drinking or stop doing drugs. You don't need them in your life to survive. But with food, you do need them, you do need it in your life to survive. And so you have to take a different approach because you can't just not eat food. You have to figure out how to have some sort of element of control. And sometimes with Overeaters Anonymous, they say like don't have sugar or flour, but I feel like a lot of people can't follow that. So you actually have to find some sort of element of power in that moment. And I think for you, it was gaining awareness, understanding your thought patterns, specifically what was happening that was leading you to binge at night or eat at night and what was happening during the day. And all those elements helped you realize, oh, I do have moments of control. Absolutely. Yes. And recognize the moments. Yes. You're totally correct on that. So that you can build on those, you draw Mm -hmm. from that and then you can build on it. Um, so I want to say one thing that, that happened uh, in working with you that had not happened to me before. And that was, you, you mentioned the nighttime eating, I would have that. And if I like ate at night, which was totally out of control, which that's a whole nother story. Um, in the, the next day I would say, screw it and then binge again, and then the purge. And it's almost mm-hmm. like, it, to me, I thought of it as a reset, you know? Mm-hmm. I eat at night, then I binge that next morning, and then I purge. And then it's it, it was an odd thing in my brain. Um, and the moment, my, my turning point was this, okay? I would, I felt like I had no control. I had no choices. I had no control. I woke up this morning. I'd eaten that night. I was just going to have to like clear it out, you know, and try to start again. And we had been working together for maybe a month, maybe. And because you were available via text, mm-hmm. I text yeah. you that next morning after a binge. I don't know if you remember this. And I said, I overate last night and, I, and the urge was so strong to binge and purge. You know, and I sent you that text and, and you sent me, so I can't even remember what you sent back, but I know right then it's like I had a choice and I mm. didn't do it that day. And I never purged again after that day. Never. Oh, wow. I don't know how long that's been, maybe going on two years, something it's been a year and a half, two years, something like that. That's so, so cool. So I just wanted to, to point that out. Yeah. You were really good. Changer. I want to point out at acknowledging moments and i think because you that helped you and probably from your background of drug addiction of being like i'm here this is what's happening right now and sometimes you text me with no there was no demand for me to respond or anything like that but i think you sent it so that you could acknowledge it to some other person that it was happening um 
And I think that really helped you because it helped you ground yourself in the moment of having awareness, regardless of what I said. But um, yeah, a lot of people think that they think that purging is a reset and it's actually restarting the cycle. It's actually making things worse. So just digging the hole deeper and where you really have controls when you decide not to engage in those behaviors again and decide other ways to take, take back control of food. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing, and also I just want to say, you're describing this so clearly, so I commend you for that. Thank you. Um, some some people are a little bit different, uh, but I wanted to ask, it's probably too from your years of addiction and recovery and stuff like that, understanding it, but a big thing in your recovery also was weight and weight gain and something we oh. worked on for a while. Cause like the first, the first five or six months that we worked together more was about not purging and reducing the binging and you made progress. Like you didn't purge anymore. And I feel like the binging subsided quite a bit, but there was still this nighttime eating and something I was trying to convince you of is like, you need to eat more during the day. And of mm. course, like most people, you were resistant to that because when you when when you're eating at night and then someone tells you eat more during the day you think i'm just going to eat more at night but ultimately like that did help you how did you i guess decide to do that and what about that helped you i i wanted recovery in that area i knew you know while not purging is wonderful you know not binging and purging during the day is you know huge there was still be that nighttime eating um it's when we went, got back together second time Mm -hmm. uh, uh that you mentioned uh and you you said it that that nighttime eating syndrome it's an actual thing n-e-s okay mm -hmm. um and i got with one lady um she wasn't a professional dietitian she wasn't uh that but she had experienced you know this that she needed to gain weight um it, this wasn't my my uh, my turning point with that but mm -hmm. I did start with her and started eating more, but I was still eating at night. Okay. And I'm going to tell you the weight started to come on and that scared me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Scared me. Uh, but I kept seeking, you know, I kept trying and trying and persevering and I gotten, you know, from that nighttime eating syndrome, you know, I got online and, and I found a, a lady that like yourself, who is a recovery coach, but she specialized in this nighttime eating syndrome. So that was a, a huge thing. And to trust, because if one person tells you something, okay, but if two or three people tell you the same thing, okay, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'm going to try this eating more during the day mm -hmm. and, and trusting in that, but also what I'm eating, everything mm -hmm. I can, anything I want. But I had to start doing some things because it was so ingrained in me. I've been doing it for so long that to try, you know, eating, eating throughout the day, most of your calories here, you know, don't discount anything. You couldn't you know, have things, but there's some um, physical components to it and some biology uh, that when you eat, you know, carbs, if you want to eat, you know, carbs, you need to, you need to have protein and vegetables and things like that as well mm -hmm. okay yeah uh i had to really get serious with it and follow some instructions you know just follow some instructions before it could really make a difference mm -hmm. no that's really good and firstly i love that you said you hear it from one person okay but then two or three telling you the same thing maybe you should listen that's kind of 
just overly exposing yourself to the data. And I think that was really crucial to you. You're right. Because I said it, but then, you know, maybe even though I said it, people need to hear it sometimes explained in a different way. And they need to hear it explained in multiple different ways before they even consider trying it themselves. And I find what's really helpful for me and my own personal nutrition and health is always listening to, um, not always, obviously you need a balance, but listening to some health podcasts and nutritional podcasts or audiobooks that keep you informed because it then helps you see, oh, there's a real reason you should be doing this or not doing this. It's not just because you want to lose 10 pounds or something like that. So that's helpful for sure. And also with the eating specific things, I think something so so simple for you too wasn't even, it was just not having as much caffeine and um, wearing blue light glasses oh, later at night. That that did that was super helpful. You know, mm-hmm. there's many things that were helpful for the for the nighttime eating, um, and I just want to go back to the just the 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 calories. Okay, and I'm not saying anybody just count calories. I had to do a little bit of that to. Um, well, I used to do it a lot, and Jacqueline, you know this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was a calorie council, um, and it was it was difficult to break away from that. Very difficult, but I had to for a time period to. Uh, anyways, to get to where I was. Uh, mm-hmm. to get to where I am. Okay. But I wouldn't have believed it. I was stuck on this certain amount of calories and I stayed a certain amount and it just, I stayed, stayed, stayed and my life stayed real small, mm-hmm. real small. Um, I, I, I didn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Uh, but I had to trust a little bit. I trust a lot. And yeah. as I ate more you know, my life got bigger is, is, is what I want to say, you know? Yeah. I Mm. thank you for bringing that up. And then the next thing, which is related to that, that I want to talk about is the data Mm -hmm. and the calories. And I remember one week we had been talking, you had been um, seeing this other like online course person about the nighttime eating Mm -hmm. and she had been recommending how you need to eat more. And um, I also have been recommending it too. And I remember you just started tracking what you were doing. I don't know how closely you're tracking, but you're tracking the days where you ate more and then what happened at night. And then you saw a real clear correlation between, okay, these days I ate sufficiently during the day, didn't have any issues at night. Or if I did eat at night, it was like a quick little bowl of cereal or something. It wasn't anything substantial. But then the days where you suddenly would drop your calories, it was just mm-hmm. night and day and you'd have the nighttime eating. And I think seeing that data where you finally just gave it a try, right. And experimented, then it became really clear to you that oh, I can't deny this any longer. This is really what's affecting it. I need to do this. That's exactly, exactly how it went. And the more that I did it, the more that you see those results and you have, you have more faith in the process. You know, I might have believed that for you or somebody else, yeah, it could happen. Uh, but I didn't have that faith that it was going to happen until I just tried it and it started happening. So, yeah, uh, yeah definitely. That's a really good mm-hmm. point, too. It's like we can all t- say all these things, but until you try it, you really won't believe it, which is such a catch-22. But um, it's really important that like the belief, the hope will get you to straight that start the action. But wow. then over time, doing the action will actually build the real belief and understanding. Oh, hope is such a good word too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Listening to podcasts, listening to you. I didn't listen to a bunch of other podcasts, but I had hope because you would say the things that I was doing. 
that you did and so forth. So the hope was huge and in, in just to hang on to that and to try these things and, you know, try it once, try it twice, try it three times. It doesn't, for me, it didn't happen right away. It did not. But, you know, I just kept, I get a little bit and then go back a little bit and get a little bit and go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just, just keep trying and trusting, trusting in the process and trusting those people that had gone before me. But I actually, I heard Pox as girls or people that you worked with and they actually had a change in their life. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, wow. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love too, that your story is not linear and i want to and also i was thinking about this earlier now that i'm remembering kelly you also work with a doctor for some of your sleep issues so if you guys are out there having sleep Mm. issues can't sleep please go see a doctor right to talk about different medications and stuff but outside of that like your recovery journey wasn't this like i stopped purging and then i stopped this and then suddenly the nighttime eating stopped It it was no it was a gradual journey even even now you said sometimes there's some nighttime eating episodes, but they're not nearly as ext- extreme as they used to be, which is so important to note that like things aren't hundred percent perfect, but you feel so much better, feel much happier. And that's what matters most. Yes. The only other thing I wanted to ask you about the re- your recovery journey was the weight gain. How did you deal with that? I say, oh, <laughs> I know that's a good response. But I'm going to tell you, there was a time made nothing funny. There was mm-hmm. nothing funny about my pants being tight. Um, how did I deal with that? Okay. Uh, first off, I didn't want it. Um, didn't happen <laughs> for a while, for a little bit. But when it happened, so I bought some, I'm just going to say, I bought some clothes that were a little roomy or a little comfortable, a little more comfortable. And we talked about it. Um, and I will say, I had to buy a couple sets of and have I have gained I have gained weight definitely how did I deal with that I talked about it said how miserable it was um <laughs> I heard others do the same thing because I would do some OA too um how mm-hmm. others who were having the same experience so I knew I wasn't alone and I'm going to say this but when I did this was a huge thing for me when I was able to set aside and this is strange today but set aside how maybe my pants were a little bit snug because I started to experience some life and what I mean life being able to being able to sit on the couch with my husband and watch a movie and not be miserable because I'm thinking about how uncomfortable I am Hmm. just I I don't know how that happens kind of set it aside man I started to enjoy those moments you know we're like laughing or crying or whatever it was to actually it, be entertained, not wanting to be so wasted with food, okay, or mm-hmm. misery that I started, it, it started to just become my focus started to be, be different. And, yeah. and just, you know, taking it one day at a time, one, one set of clothes at a time, you know, like if I had a event I wanted to go to, maybe a little, little snug, but those my my body didn't start to become the main focus okay mm-hmm. and those feelings that went along with that and as other things became my focus then my body whether it be uncomfortable or comfortable became less and less of an issue mm, yeah. yeah no that's really well put and it's funny the next question i was going to ask you is how is recovery positively impacted your life but you just said it like it's gotten a lot bigger and you've been hinting at it this whole time but 
I do remember, I remember our conversations about going to get more clothes, going to get different size clothing. And I also remember asking you what specifically about your body gaining weight do you not like? And it was interesting because, and this isn't always people's experience, but the weight gain aesthetically you didn't mind. It was more so just the feeling that was very unfamiliar and uncomfortable. But as you focused off of it and really kept your mind on, okay, why are we doing this? What's the improvement? What are the benefits? Um, It helped you. And you're right. I remember so many times where in my eating disorder, I could never really enjoy dinner with my boyfriend or go out with friends without worrying about calories. And then when you actually recovered, you can do a whole lot of things without having to worry, obsess over food. It's just not there. And you can enjoy moments more fully. Yes, 100%. The only other thing I wanted to ask you, and you've been so gracious to share your story. I think this is really going to help a lot of people. But if you could give advice to like one piece of advice to anyone out there struggling right now, what is it that you would say? Number one, don't give up, uh, persevere when I had a, a sponsor in the program a long time ago. And she told me, she, cause I didn't have any money to have any insurance, any of that. She goes, seek everywhere, seek everywhere mm-hmm. that you can find recovery, wherever that is. And, and she was talking about the eating disorder cause she hadn't gone through me. And I'm so grateful that when I first started my journey of you know, um, recovery period, there were no podcasts, obviously, you know, it was <laughs> in the eighties. Um, um, and that's been such a blessing that I started because I kept doing this 12 step thing, you know, and it wasn't working that I started seeking elsewhere. And that was huge. And that's where I found Jacqueline. I found you, um, and started listening to those podcasts and I went way back to the very beginning. And it was like each time <laughs> I, I just felt more and more and it was wonderful. I do want to say one other thing. Um, when we talk, yeah. this is what I wanted to say earlier about, you know, gaining weight. I looked at pictures of me now. Okay. And I'm like, Oh my God, I was, I was so skinny. When where I mm. thought I looked, damn, I, I felt like I looked good. Mm-mm, I did not look good. Mm. And the gaining of the weight, w- which you just mentioned about, you know, I, I'm i like, mm, I look pretty good. <laughs> you know, and I will yeah. say I have down, gained a significant amount of weight, but man, it went in all the right places. Um, you know, I'm not 100% happy all the time, but uh, I, I look better. And now I'm starting to feel better with the way I look. Okay. Aww. In my mind, I'm like, yeah. And that's, yeah. I never thought in a hundred years that that would happen. Never, that's really never, good. never, never. So yeah. 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 It's, it's funny. Right. I, and that's, of course, sometimes people gain weight and they don't like how they look. And then there's, that's a different um story. So the, you guys out there listening be like, well, I don't think that's going to be me. Like, it's okay. You can still recover. You can still work through your body image, but I do agree. Yeah. Sometimes when people are, um, on the lower end of the spectrum of weight and they're really underweight, they get really attached to how they look, even though they know I've had another client. who's like, I know I'd look physically better, but it's just so uncomfortable to go there. Or they really think they look okay and they look good and they like how they look. But um, this is all subjective, of course, but I don't think most people find who are severely underweight, it's more concerning to look at than it is aesthetically pleasing, I suppose, to the average mass, of course attraction is subjective but it's funny that like when you're in that you think oh this looks good and then your perception of what is attractive changes just like i think as we age you know like 
it's funny to look at the people you had crushes on in high school, right? It's like, how did I ever find that person attractive? And then you move on. So I think same thing with recovery. Obviously, you change your perception, how you look, and you can appreciate new things about yourself. And on top of that, I'm so glad that you're feeling better and hopefully have more energy because of the new weight that you put on. Oh, my gosh. I have so much more energy. That's really So much more energy and happy and happy Mm -hmm. and look at and look at so. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, um, and the I could say so much more, but uh, <laughs> I think that uh, yeah, yeah, it's no, just you've night and you've day, given so such cool. a plethora plethora of information. I can't say thank you enough. Um, there was something else that you said that I wanted to reiterate. Um, oh, well, firstly, like we we you said in the beginning, but just for people out there listening, even though obviously I don't like to bring up people's age because it shouldn't matter, but in this case, you're fifty six. And I, I talk to so many people that are 50, 60 plus that think their life is just over and they can't learn any new things. And that's just so untrue. You have half your life to live. So thank you for sharing that and that you can recover at um, like 50 plus. That's that's important for people to hear. Um, and then also the continuing to persevere and continue to keep trying and seeking everywhere. And of course, you had the means to be able to afford private coaching with me. Um, I remember you even saying like, you're expensive, but you're worth it. But not everyone does. So keep seeking recovery advice anywhere you can find and keep consuming it. I think that's such excellent advice for anyone out there, whether you can afford um, different help methods or not, just keep seeking guidance from every possible location. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I said, and I still believe today, it's the best money I ever spent. The best money I ever spent. So thank you, you, Jacqueline. Yeah. And thank you for being here and kindly sharing your time. I know you have a busy life, but I appreciate you being here. Um, I guess I'll, we'll end the recording here, but thank you everyone else for listening. And Kelly, thank you for telling your story. Uh, Thanks, Jacqueline. All right. Yeah. Hey, if you found this episode helpful, check out my website at bingebreakers.com. It has free courses, awesome group coaching, and private coaching available to you right now.